your Locked On Penguins, your daily podcast on the Pittsburgh Penguins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, welcome to this Friday evening episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. So I did tease the special guest on Thursday night's episode after the Penguins 4-1 win over the New York Islanders. I did say he has not been on the show before. Um, he can also confirm that. Um, known him for probably a good portion of my life, to be honest. I think it's probably been about... <laughs> Seven, 70 years, something around that, seven years, uh, Matt Geica, um, he does stuff for Pittsburgh Sports Live, you cover the Penguins uh, for DK Pittsburgh Sports and also cover the Pirates um, as well. Uh, Matt, how you doing, man? Yeah, I think it's at least seven, man. Yeah. I think it's probably eight or, or closer to a decade now that we've known each other. He used to work for me at cityofchampionssports.com, which uh, is uh, long lamented, but uh, I, I I did enjoy that time, and I, I've just enjoyed following you on social media ever since. We never we, we met in person one time at PPG Paints Arena, right? Yeah, yeah. you were covering, I think, a game for uh, DK site, and then I went with my grandpa, and I think I met you out the side of the section. I think that was against the... Uh was that 2017 against the Sabres where they came back 3 nothing down, I think, and the Connor Sherry won the game in the third period, if I'm not that, mistaken? That, that sounds right. I do remember that game. Yeah, that was a pretty darn good rally. That was an exciting one. Mm-hmm. And um, But, uh, yeah, it's funny. We've known each other for almost a decade. We've met one time. That's a very internet relationship. I think that's very modern of us to uh, to do it that way. But yeah, it doesn't matter. Modern technology, here we are on Zoom doing a podcast. So, um, all those things would have been foreign to anybody 15 years ago or more. Well, Zoom, I didn't even know what Zoom was until 11 months ago. So yeah. there you go. Me, 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 me too. Man. I had no idea what Zoom was until February, March of last year. And yeah, City of Champions Sports, what a throwback that was with everyone there. That was, that was literally my first writing gig. So, you know, I'll always remember that. And uh, that was always fun times. But, you know, of course, times have changed. Um, we're here to talk about the Penguins, of course. They're 8-6-1 and six and one this season. Winners of... What is it now? Three of their last four games, if I'm not mistaken. I know, I know it's two of their last three. I think it's three of their last four. You know, just time just goes by so quick now. You know, this may be some terrible podcast content. Whatever. But, you know, the Penguins, I think they're playing better for the most part lately. I know they had that stinker against the Capitals um, this past week. But, Matt, as you assess the team right now, um, how do you feel about them through 15 games? I think that uh, it's tough to sum it up. Through the 15 games, I would say the last four, like you were just singling out, uh, they've been better. Uh, they won two out of four, but they were impressive against the Islanders. They blew it on the on the uh, the Barzell goal, of course. Uh, uh, that game, they came back and beat the Islanders. Then they had the the two against the the Capitals that were interesting. Or maybe it's I'm not even sure what it is I right think now. It is but three out of four since that COVID break, mm-hmm. since that COVID break, I think they've been playing a little bit better and. Uh, my theory was a little bit scuttled by that game against the Caps on Tuesday night. It was um, their worst performance in a while overall, just not a lot of spark there after the opening few minutes and, and a couple of missed chances on a power play. But I was optimistic they were going to make the playoffs this year. I thought it might be tight, and it looks like it's going to be tight in the East Division. Some disappointments and uh, a couple of pleasant surprises mixed in, of course, with the huge news that was Jim Rutherford stepping down. So. It's been an eventful first 15 games, first quarter of the season, if you want to call it that. Yeah, you know, it was it, it, eventful, I think, is the best way to say it. 
Um, you know, I, I think it was three out of four because they lost to the Islanders the first game. Then they beat them in that shootout. Then they beat Washington, and then they lost to them, and then they beat the Islanders again. It's so funny how they keep playing the same two teams, and they're playing. <laughs> That's them, why it's so hard. Yeah, three out of five. They the they next won. couple yeah. weeks too, which is the funny part. I don't think they play. They don't play another team outside of these two teams until I think March first or something like that. It's just mm-hmm. that's the way the schedule is right now because they had the postponements against the Devils and they still haven't played Buffalo yet. Um, you know, cra- crazy times around the NHL right now. And you know, glad, I'm glad that you did bring up the um, the Jim Rutherford resignation. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And then, of course, you know, you were around obviously during the Hextall years and when he was with Philadelphia. Um, we're really, I really personally wasn't for obvious reasons. I'm only 23 years old. Um, just what were your thoughts when Rutherford resigned? Just I know it was so out of the blue, and you know, I know some fans were quick to dump on him despite him bringing the two cups here. And I understand, you know, what happened the last three years. His moves were not great, kind of set the team back. You know, some will even argue that it closed the window. I'll even hear those arguments. Um, but just, you know, what were your thoughts on that and then the eventual hiring of Brian Burke and Ron Hextall? Well, first of all, I'm not that much older than you. I don't remember much of the Ron Hextall playing <laughs> years. I do recall Yarmir Yager scoring a, a highlight goal against him, batting one out of midair while flopping on his stomach. That was incredible. That was maybe the first year I was a Penguins fan. But yeah, other than that, he's been you know, mostly an executive for uh, for my adult life. And I, I was pleasantly um, surprised, I would say, to hear his name pop up because um, I, I wasn't sure that he was going to get a, a chance this quick to, to take over another team. And of course, he's working in tandem now with Brian Burke, which totally throws uh, all expectations out the window, I would say. <clears throat> but to answer your question about Rutherford, I, I was ready to move on from the Rutherford era Basically, as soon as he uh, traded Oscar Sundquist for Ryan Reeves, it was just, where are we going here? And you could tell Mike Sullivan didn't even uh, approve of that move and some other ones because it just seemed like a lot of the players that, that Jim would acquire, um, Mike would, would sit him down or, or wouldn't play them very much, wouldn't play them in some huge roles. So I, I just think Rutherford is uh, is a shoot-from-the-hip type of a guy, and I think he had a lot going for him coming here into Pittsburgh. He had the two superstar centers. He had an elite defenseman. He had a, a pretty good goalie situation too. Two goalies who could really play and ended up being a contentious situation in the end. But a lot of GMs are looking for one goalie who could play and he ended up yeah. with two. But uh, I think he had a good sense of what the team needed for a while. And then he felt like he had to over adjust back toward uh, some sort of a, of, a, of a fake toughness, I would say, because for me, toughness is, is digging in the corners for the puck and, and winning possession productive toughness not show toughness no offense to ryan reeves who could uh certainly beat me in a fight but that's not what hockey's about anymore and i'm not sure it was ever really about that so at some point jim lost his way there the jack johnson thing that alone was a fireable offense he was the worst player in the nhl many years running and you signed him to what was it a five-year contract it was ridiculous so uh he, he certainly lost his his touch at a certain point i am grateful that he came to town and and rebooted uh, what was looking like a would-be dynasty, ended up being maybe a semi-dynasty, if you want to call it, what, three cups in, in six or seven or eight years, whatever it ended up being. Uh, hey, three cups, I think that that's, that's tremendous stuff, and, and he got him two of them. He made some key deals there. So uh, it, it's really tough to, to judge Jim Rutherford, but the point that I made on Pittsburgh Sports Live was that he did the Penguins a favor. It was time to move on, 
time for new eyes to look at this franchise. And that's what we have right now. And we're about to find out what they think about it by some of their moves that they eventually make. Yeah. You, you basically hit the nail on the head. He kind of lost his way. Um, there would be times I think where would be certain people. Um, I don't never really name names or call people out on this podcast. It's just not who I am unless you're just like a complete idiot fan on Twitter. Um, <laughs> But, you know, just some people would like always like defend some of his moves uh, just for I don't know why. You know, how, how was covering Rutherford during those years when you were the Penguins reporter? I've always w- actually wanted to ask you that since you were there and you got to speak to him, I think, a handful of times. Yeah, he was always uh, up front. I thought uh, if I had to put my fan hat on in that situation, I thought too up front. I think he telegraphed maybe too many yeah. of the moves because – there is some strategy to this thing. And, and I know he was working the media, maybe trying to put some tidbits out there in hopes that other rival GMs would see it. Maybe they'd say, oh, that guy's on the market or they're looking for this type of a player. Maybe I should get in on that. So I know there was some method to his madness, uh, but he was just so different from most general managers. You mentioned I covered the Pirates, Hunter, and mm-hmm. Neil Huntington and Jim Rutherford could not have been more different. Neil Huntington would give you the longest most drawn out non-answer in the book you halfway through you're like he's not going to answer this question Uh, i'm just going to tune out Uh, as far as rutherford goes he would give you more than you asked for sometimes and like i said trying to push out certain agendas he was old school in that way gms used to work like that in all sports they used to really play the media and, and use them and and uh and try to get the message out that way now i think they realize that maybe uh letting too much get out is is not a good thing either so now we're left with uh, a bunch of GMs who don't say too much. And from what I understand, Ron Hextall isn't one to say much, but Brian Burke is one to say a lot. So uh, I've gleaned quite a bit from what Brian Burke has said on the record so far. So at least uh, we have one out of two here in terms of, of uh, executives with candor, I suppose you could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always, I think I did read a few articles that when he was hired, they said, yeah, Hextall didn't really say a lot to the media. Um, in Philadelphia. I mean, he had that big press conference, but then he went on, I think, the GM show with Josh Getzoff. I mean, that's already twice that he's talked to some of the Pittsburgh media. I think that's probably talked twice in like a three months with the Flyers media just because he would always, I think, keep stuff close to the vest. And then, you know, Brian Burke, he just has a big mouth. So, I mean, he'll just, he'll say, I, he'll honestly say whatever he wants. Just, that's just, that's always been who he was. I mean, you know, the, you have the Pittsburgh model, my ass quote. It was just. <laughs> That one's always funny. And then just, barn fight with Kevin Lowe. That's about 10 or 15 years ago at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember looking that one up. That was that was a fun one to listen to. Um, but we do have a lot more to get to um, for this episode of Locked on Penguins. Um, just touch on more stuff about the current team. Um, but before we do get to that, it is time to talk about bet online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up for. You can head to the website, betonline.ag. Sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code Locked On. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hodes. Remember to follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Follow the show's Twitter at LO underscore Penguins. So um, getting back to Rutherford just a little bit, but, you know, kind of indirectly. Um, some of his moves that he made this offseason, Matt, you know, actually not bad. You know, Kasperi Kapanen, um, what is that, seven points in 12 games now? Cody Cece looks playing like a top-pairing defender for $1.1 $1. $1 or something with his underlying numbers. 
uh, Mike Matheson has tur- t- uh, turned turned in, excuse me, um, four really nice games in a row. Um, that's going to be an interesting decision when Brian Dumoulin comes back. Um, but we're going to first start with Cody Cece. Um, Matt, what a signing this has turned out to be. I, I know I dumped on it w- when it came out just because of what's happened. He played a lot of minutes at Ottawa and Toronto. Um, it didn't really work out. But, you know, they put him on the bottom pairing. And, you know, you look at you go to natural stat trick and you just look at the numbers, you know, plus 50% in chances for, chances against, his possession numbers, um, high danger. Um, they're It's pretty good. You know, what, what are your thoughts on how he's played so far? I think he's a, a serviceable defenseman the way they're using him right now. And, and even with all the injuries they've had, they haven't overexposed him. I, I think he's in, in a reasonable position in order to produce. But I always thought of him as like a, a big, hulking, slow-footed type of a guy. But I'm not sure I'm necessarily seeing that here in Pittsburgh. So it probably was all those times I saw him play with Ottawa and it just felt like their D were flat footed the entire time. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that could be part of it. And I think it's a pretty good lesson in uh, the idea that, especially in hockey, that um, you, you can really look bad in one type of a system and look really good in another kind of a system. And, and the Penguins want to have their, their D get involved. Uh, but CC hasn't overextended himself. I think that's pretty important to, to note as well. You, rattled off the numbers there. He's a positive in all the places you want him to be a positive. Not that he's playing against enormously difficult competition, but that's not what they signed him for. So yeah, it is kind of funny. I, maybe Rutherford was getting back around to yeah. uh, to, to a, a better concept of what might work with this uh, current group of talent. I, what I like about CC is he tends to get shots through. He's a pretty direct player. I think Mike Sullivan probably loves him because he plays that, uh, that that direct game, and um, and Mike wants to not necessarily have the, the D just get rid of the puck quickly, but they want to make quick plays in order to uh, get out into the neutral zone and uh, and go from there and, and use their speed and their skill from there. And and CeCe's been good in that way, and I think he's been all right in the offensive zone too. So, um, yeah, that signing was was a lower risk than, say, a Jack Johnson, obviously, due to the, the contract length, but uh, so far, so good. So you, you got to say... Good job on on Rutherford, and you have to also say good job on the coaches, Todd Reardon, of course, um, mm-hmm. yeah, manning yeah. the the D core this year. So there could be something to uh, to that connection as well. Yeah, good point with that. You know, he's definitely playing a lot better under Todd Reardon this, you know, as he did in Ottawa or even Toronto. Though I think in Toronto he was getting minutes with Morgan Riley, so um, that's surely an interesting decision there made by Babcock and Sheldon Keith. Um, well, when he eventually got hired. Um, but, but yeah, man, you know they're, they're deploying him in a nice way, giving him third-pairing minutes. He gets to go out against the third or fourth line of teams every night. You don't need to go out and go out there against Matt Barzell, Alex Ovechkin, Claude Giroux, Travis Konechny, et cetera, et cetera. You go out, have them go out against the third and fourth lines, and you know he's going to keep putting up these numbers. And um, I don't think he's going to be taken out of the lineup when Brian Dumoulin returns. It's probably going to be P.O. Joseph, so would I agree with that? You know, Maybe not, but you know, we'll probably get to that later on. Um, in this episode. Um, I did also want to ask you about Matheson. Um, I've dumped on that Hornquist trade quite a bit. Um, I, I understood the reasoning for why they need were going to trade him, like, but the reasoning behind it, I think, is the best way to say it. You know, aging veteran, 
just his, that kind of player. His body breaks down faster than some others. But, you know, Hornquist has been pretty good this year. I think last time I checked, he had like five goals for them on the power play or something like that. It's probably gone up. It's just because of how well the Panthers are playing. But and Matheson was struggling. But now, Matt, you know, four games in a row, he's putting in some co- positive contributions. Did a shot to himself on the, the boards last <laughs> night, which got to Teddy Bluger, got his third goal of the year. You know, just what's your assessment on Matheson so far? Well, I was cautiously optimistic, uh, maybe more bullish than most on Mike Matheson's ability to come in here and, and contribute. He didn't have the support in Florida. And, and no offense to some of the young talent they have down there. Well, talent that's, that's blossoming and maybe not so young anymore. Huberto and, and Barkoff and um, it, just in general, I think Florida's gotten a little bit better. But when you get up here to Pittsburgh, perhaps a little bit more of an up-tempo approach, perhaps playing with a couple of superstars can help out. But overall, I've, I've just liked the creativity. And one of the takeaways that I had from the playoffs last year, Hunter especially, was that the, the Penguins D didn't do much in terms of, of aiding the attack. And you watch teams like uh, the Blue Jackets, for instance, last playoff. I compared them very, um, very poorly to the Blue Jackets because you had a Seth Jones and a Zach Wierenski um, almost playing positionless hockey in the, in the offensive zone just because of their ability. I realized the Penguins may not have a player like that. Maybe Chris Letang is the closest. But Mike Matheson, um, he takes some risks. Yes, he can't get out of position. He made more mistakes in that regard early in the year, so I want to give him some somewhat of a pass in terms of adjusting to the way the Penguins play. Last few games, since that break, actually, maybe it's no coincidence, when he uh, got back from the injury and uh, got a few practices, got to watch some games from up top, too. All of it, I think, is coming together for Mike, and he's playing confidently. He made a, a, a beautiful little feed there to the back door to Brian Rust on the, mm-hmm. uh, on the, the first goal of the game Sunday against the Capitals. And uh, part of that play was, was having the vision to, to pick out Rust, which most, most D wouldn't have that. But also, he made a move uh, up in the attack zone, and Crosby found him. So I think that there's an opportunity there to, to get Mike out uh, with maybe Sid, and, and hopefully if Malkin gets going, Get him some more starts with those guys, some more zone starts with those guys in the offensive zone because he's actually playing a little bit more of a defensive role. He started more of his shifts in the D zone than he has in the O zone, which makes it all the more impressive. So I don't think that contract, that uh, the fact that Mike Matheson is here, is that much of an uh, of an albatross as as many might think. Um, some might say, "Well, trade him now while his value is high." I think he could be an asset to this team, and and uh, I'm willing to give him uh, quite a bit of rope here because he brings something to the table that most of the Penguins D-men did not last year. Now they have a P.O. Joseph. Hopefully Chris Letang can get it back up to speed. And you add Mike Matheson. That's three guys on the backside who uh, can really add to it and and can give you something in the offensive zone. So that's good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I I just – I really liked his skating ability. You know, you see all the talk on Twitter, Matt. You know, he's he's a forward. He doesn't play defense. And – you know, I, I noticed this one defensive play yesterday. I think it was uh, one of the Islander players was making a break on the net, puts a stick right in, goes to the corner, and then just starts the break out the other way. And it's like that he wasn't making those kind of plays earlier in the season before he got hurt. And then I think it was also the goal, the first goal last night the out, against the Islanders, um, saves the puck from going out due to his long reach and then puts it, I think, behind the net. And that was able to lead to that first goal. And it was like, wow, that's Again, that's a play that he has not made at all this year, and it's good to see his play improving just because you know that trade was starting to look 
bad, as of course the Horn as Hornquist was playing well. And then, you know, I'll get to the last guy who I think is also playing well, and that's Kasperi Kapin. Big trade with Toronto on the Rutherford made. Questionable um, pieces to acquire. Gave up a top 15 pick. You know, the organization has had, hasn't had a top 15 pick since 2012 against... Yeah, I think that was 2012, if I'm not mistaken. They got the number 8 pick in the stall trade, if I'm not... I think that yeah, that sounds right. I think that's right. Um, it's been a while. I know that. Yeah, it's they make the playoffs every year, so they're always picking in the 20s or the 30s, um, depending on if they win the Stanley Cup. Um Kasperi Kapanen made his debut on the Crosby line last night. Um, I don't know about you, Matt, but I think I'm going to want him to stay there for a while just because of how well he played with Gensel and um, Crosby. Well, that was always the idea. Mike Sullivan even said as much during the abbreviated training camp last month that they wanted to see Kapanen with Crosby. Ended up being that's not how they started the season. Uh, but it wasn't working with with Malkin with a couple of uh, notable breakaway goals early on in Kapanen's Pittsburgh tenure, putting those aside. It had been a, a few games where it just seemed like Kapanen in some ways was maybe too fast for Malkin at this point, mm-hmm. uh, at this stage of the game. Jason Zucker as well. I, I still would like to see Zucker and Kapanen up with Crosby. I think that might work out just because Gensel, Malkin, and Rust were so good together last year when Sid was out with, uh, with the, uh, the core injury. But neither here nor there. As you mentioned last night, both of those top two lines generated an even strength goal, which uh, that might be the first time this season. And uh, it, it certainly was a, a fresh new look and a refreshing look for uh, for all of us. Um, Kapanen is interesting just because he, I don't want to say his his feet are too quick for his hands. He's not quite a, a Brandon Tanev in that, in that regard. <laughs> Thinking back to that breakaway a couple of games ago. But that has been the reputation that he has the tools, but hasn't been able to put it together, hasn't been able to make them all functional in a productive way mm-hmm. in the NHL. But you get him a chance to, to play with the best player of his generation in Crosby. Uh, it, it could help a lot of guys. It certainly helped Chris Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis. Those guys made some hay <laughs> on 87's back. Not that they didn't do work themselves, but you know what I mean. They would have been fairly nondescript, possibly top six guys on other teams, but not part of maybe the best line in hockey for a while there. So um, there's always the chance. You have a guy with skill. You have a guy with foot speed. And Kapanen seems that he plays, I used this word before, direct in the context of Cody Ceci. I think it applies as well to, uh, to Kasperi Kapanen. And you need a guy to go retrieve pucks. You want to get some pucks, obviously, in the, in the offensive zone below the goal line with Crosby. You saw them generate a goal from below the goal line in that uh, Thursday game against yeah. the Islanders. So maybe this could work. Um, Kapanen's going to have to... Uh, shows some grit. Uh, the cycle game is is big for Sid. So if it's going to fit, he can't just fly up and down the wing. He's also got to be willing to uh, to put in some of that uh, that grinding work as well. But uh, it's seeing eighty seven as your center that can be a really good motivator. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And he he was playing well with Gino um, that line with. Um... Zucker, Mal- Zucker, Malkin, and Kapanen, though. You know, Sullivan, just because they struggled, flip-flopped them, worked to a perfect degree, put Russ down there. He's been a goal-scoring machine. I mean, I think that's like four goals in his last three games now. It's nice to see Jason Zucker also get back on the goal sheet. Um, I-, I understand why people have been a little bit skeptical about him this year. He just hasn't played as well. Some people were trying to compare him to Derek Broussard. I think that was a little too far just because, I guess, the, the yeah. price to acquire him. But... Um, nice to see him play well. And, uh, you know, before we do get to a commercial break, I do want to ask you about this line too. You know, it's the, uh, the glue line as Sullivan likes to call it. Aston Reese, Bluger, Tanev, um, Zach Aston Reese. I've said it so many times, man. 
he's the most underrated, underappreciated player on this team. Four points in four games already. He makes that line with Bluger and Tanev go. And not to mention, I mean, not to say that they don't, they're not good players. They obviously are. But Ashton, he just does everything in all three phases on the ice just so well. And it's just, that line's a joy to watch. You know, I saw people trying to say it's a competent fourth line. If that's a competent fourth line, I'd love to see what the top five fourth lines you have on your list that are better than them. Just because once they hopefully get a forward or or two to play on a line with McCann, they can put this line as a fourth line. And there aren't five better fourth lines, I think, than this one in the league. Yeah, don't forget about Jared McCann, by yeah. the way. I think a lot of folks have. And I think he's better than what he's shown in certainly the playoffs last year, but also late last season when he got in that slump. And, and yeah, speaking of slumps, Jason Zucker, I'm still uh, a fan of his. And honestly, he has, what, four goals now in 15 games? That's about at his career rate. He scores once every four games, essentially. So he's a, a perennial 20-goal man, once did 30. Mm-hmm. Usually he has more goals than assists, too. That's the type of guy he is. And I would uh, leave him with either Malkin or Crosby because he's going to be... The, the one at the finishing end of some of those passes, clearly. Um, but to your point about the third line, yeah, I, I did hear that that similar chatter about the fact that they're a really good fourth line. Maybe they're not that great of a third line. I don't know about that because I think Teddy Bluger can move. He, he can yeah. win you some face-offs. He can kill penalties, uh, play D for you. Zach Aston Reese is such a smart player. He's worked on his quickness. I remember talking to him at uh, Penguins development camp. must have been three or four years ago, mm-hmm. back when I was on the beat. and. He was saying they're really working on his first step because he got away with uh, maybe not having elite quickness. Uh, Not maybe. He didn't have elite quickness, still doesn't. But he got away with it at the college level. But uh, when you score that many goals at the college level, he led NCAA Division I in goals as a a senior there at Northeastern. So that's not easy to do. Um, I, I know it's college hockey. It's not the pros. But he's got something going on there between the years. And you see him along the boards, too, wins more than he loses. There's a reason why he's been a, a strong possession player, and uh, in particular, a, a strong player in his own end. And now that shoulder, hopefully, knock on wood, yeah. um, it stays mended here because he looks like he's playing confidently. Yeah, he's not going to score a goal a game. The goal he got run into last game, and that's why he, <laughs> he scored uh, late against the Capitals. Uh, there was also the empty net or two that, that was mixed in. So I'll pump the brakes on the, the fact that he's uh, an elite point producer or anything like that in the making. But <laughs> it's certainly part of, uh, of a valuable line on this team that has uh, earned every bit of the stability that Mike Sullivan has given them so far. Yeah, and it's a line that he can put for defensive zone faceoffs, offensive zone faceoffs. You know, I saw some people also dumping on during the Capitals game. I think this was when the, the Penguins were... Um, trailing, if I'm not mistaken, and they had that long shift in the capital zone. I think it was about 45 seconds to a minute. Didn't get a lot of shots off, but you could just tell that shift turned the tide of the game. And then they go down, I think, just a couple minutes later, they score one goal, and then Brandon Tanev gets a goal 32 seconds later. It's like, that's what that line can do. They can shift games in just a matter of milliseconds. So I just, I love that line a ton. Um, we still have a lot more to get to. Well, a little bit more to get to for this episode. We'll talk about some more some of the Penguins' problems um, in the next segment. But before we do get do get to that, it is time to talk about Built Bar. There's actually a flash sale for today. Um, the Coconut Puff Bar, um, soft marshmallow. It's made with premium uh, protein blend, 16 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only six grams of sugar. It's gluten free, preservative free, limited time only, one day sale. Order now. You can use the promo code locked on at builtbar.com. 
All right, welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Hody. So, uh, Matt, I, I guess we do have to touch on uh, the fourth line, or the lack of the fourth line, I think is the best way to say it. Um, you just basically, the Penguins are getting a mix of Sam Lafferty, Drew O'Connor, Colton Sevier, and Mark Jankowski, four of the lowest rated players on the team. You know, I, I read this, um, Danny Shire Irving at Penn's blog, who he does a great job with his stuff, um, puts out um, the list of like the Penguins players um, leading the team, I think an expected goals for each week. And those four players are basically way down on the list every time. And, you know, we always read this talk about Sam Lafferty. Oh my gosh, he's a training camp hero. Oh my gosh, he, he looks great in practice. And then you get to the, the games and there's just nothing there. And Drew O'Connor, I know he's a young kid. Maybe he's not fully NHL ready. I'm not ready to give up on him yet. But then, you know, Colton Sevier, he's just kind of a guy. And then it's, it's just, I, I don't know, man. I mean, if I'm Ron Hextall, that's the biggest area of priority that I'm going after at the trade deadline. Getting a forward or two to play with Jared McCann, and then you can roll four lines. Just what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, maybe rolling four lines is a bit ambitious, even <laughs> if they do pick up a forward or two. But it can't be like it is right now. The game against the Caps where they trailed the whole way, I think Sullivan gave them three or four shifts. So yeah. <laughs> it was uh, rather remarkable to see. In this day and age, you don't necessarily see the the fourth line across the league getting as much playing time as the third. But uh, it's not like it used to be. There used to be guys who just sat the bench or, or there were a lot of goons out there too, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Not the case anymore. The, the pace of the game is, is high enough where you really need that fourth line to at least be able to keep the puck a little bit. Um, you remember when Matt Cullen was here, he was a key part of what the Penguins did, penalty killing wise, uh, definitely. But also anchoring a fourth line for the most part. And um, you don't even need that many great players or good players. You just need pr- probably one. <laughs> and the Penguins don't have really one at this moment. Mark Jankowski, well, we, we talked great about Rutherford's summer. Jankowski looks to be a, a wasted signing. Um, I knew it was trouble when I looked at his numbers from last year. I thought, okay, five goals. Maybe that's all right for a fourth-line center or whatever. But uh, he had, I think, 40 total shots uh, on goal the entire season for Calgary. And I, I think uh, we've seen it recently. He just goes away for long stretches of time. He had two awesome games. He might have been one of the better players on the ice for the Pens in those two games at Philadelphia to start the season. Got the first goal And the since then, the nothing games. at all to speak up. I guess he kills penalties okay. It's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, I'm not a coach. I'm not breaking down the X's and O's on a nightly basis, but they're putting him out there at least. So uh, you have that. He's a big body. The other guys you mentioned, Drew O'Connor, the projectable frame, Sam Lafferty, fast, a little bit, a little bit rambunctious. There appears to be some potential, but it's just not happening right now for those guys, partially because they don't have the puck. They could use uh, a center who has the puck (laughs) a little bit more. So uh, Jankowski's letting them down. Lafferty and O'Connor aren't good enough to, to, uh, to take advantage of, of the limited minutes that they have. Colton Sevier, yeah, uh, they basically had to take him in the deal with Florida. Mm-hmm. So I'm not uh, going to read too much into that. But the Penguins need to deal from surplus. And for me, Hunter, right now, that's on D. And uh, they got to get at least one forward. Maybe not a center necessarily, because if McCann comes back, then you can play him at center. But uh, more the merrier as far as competent forwards are concerned right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, it was true, man, with Jankowski. Got the first goal of the season for the Penguins and then went away. He you looked know? great. <laughs> yeah, those first two games, he was awesome. You know, 700K, you know what? Who cares? You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, at last year, I was kind of like, okay, you know, we'll see. Is he going to play like that or is he going to play like the Mark Jankowski we saw the two years prior where he had like, what, 15, 16 goals both those two seasons? Well, nope, we're getting the Jankowski we had from last year just much worse. And yeah, I do agree with you. I think we are going to see a defenseman get dealt. My guess is that's Pedersen. Maybe for someone like Granlin from Nashville, they're probably going to sell and they have a lot of pieces there. Um, that's the one of the first teams I look at. Um, Ottawa may sell too. I look at Evgeny Dadnov maybe for forward help. I've had that goal in the comeback just to basically give the Leafs another meme against them um, this past week. Um, but shifting gears to some other struggling players, some higher big-name players, of course, um, Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. Um, Matt, it, it almost seems like every time Gino is going to come out of this funk, he just does something stupid. He takes a penalty lazy in the defensive zone, not shooting the puck on net, because at times it, it looks like he is fully coming out of it. But uh, it's just, I, I don't know what it is. Like, is he just lo- has he lost a, a few steps in his game? I know he's gotten older, but we haven't seen this from Malkin before. I know I did read an article where he didn't condition as much in Russia just because I think at the gyms. I mean, we're going to start with him. You know, what's, what is your main concern with Malkin this year? Yeah, with Malkin, it's a combination of, of physical and mental, and they feed off each other. It's not that simple, right? If you're in the right frame of mind, then you're probably going to uh, feel a little better physically and, and vice versa. So it could be where he just came into the season lacking some confidence. He, he talked about uh, you know lack of facilities in Russia. Look, it could be an excuse. I, I read it as an excuse more than an explanation because mm-hmm. when you have millions of dollars, you can find ways to, to get things done. You don't even have to be in Russia necessarily. Uh, you, you could have uh, stayed here stateside where maybe the restrictions were a little bit lesser. Maybe the facilities were uh, a little more abundant. But I think he came into the year probably not feeling like he's totally prepared. And it's funny how that can translate over to your mental side of the game. Now, I will say in the Thursday game uh, against the the Islanders, he looked a little rejuvenated. The the play that led to the goal for, for Zucker, that was a pretty vintage Malkin setup. Yeah. So I was encouraged by that. I saw a little more of that uh, small space quickness that has – Define Malkin's game over the years. People think about his galloping, skating, and all that, but he's as quick as they come. And uh, you combine that with the frame uh, that he has and the ability that he has on the puck, and you can see why he's been one of the the all time greats, really, and, and one of the the greatest players of his generation. But uh, I'm a little nervous about Malkin just because uh, of the fact that his concentration over the years has waned. Even when he was at his best, he'd have hot and cold slumps and. Uh, or hot hot stretches and cold slumps. And as of right now, it appears the, the 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 cold stretch has more staying power. And I fear that that'll build on itself as he doesn't quite have that elite athletic talent uh, anymore to 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 get him out of some tough spots on the ice or to bail the Penguins mm-hmm. out. He's got to play more of a thinking person's game. That's just the reality of aging. I don't care how well you take care of yourself. You see Crosby doing that uh, more now. He's not taking on guys one-on-one anymore. Guys are better skating in general now. Uh, So I think Sid realizes that even if he were at his absolute peak physically, he'd have a harder time Mm -hmm. doing some of the things he used to do in this league. So, uh, But that's what we expect from Crosby. From Malkin, it's going to take more of an attitude adjustment. And um, I think he can still be an effective player, 
But if I'm Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, I'm also thinking maybe I pick his brain on what are your plans, Gino? What do you want to do? Do you really want to be here for the rest of your career? Do you want to go try something else? Uh, how do you feel about the situation? Uh, because he's still a, uh, he's still a player in this league that has a lot of value. And if you're thinking about major moves and trying to rebuild around Crosby, maybe, which I might be thinking about, then uh, you should definitely do your diligence on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I have read from so many times that they want Malkin to retire there. I, I've said it so many times. I still think he will. Then maybe he'll go back to Russia for a couple of years and play in the cage or whatever. But yeah, I mean, something needs to change just with his attitude, you know, just his play in the defensive zone. You know, even earlier in the season, he wasn't shooting a lot. I think it took to like the fifth or sixth game of the year to or something like that, fourth or fifth game or something, to finally get his first shot on goal. I mean, when have we ever said that about Evgeny Malkin throughout his career here in Pittsburgh? But he's had two nice games against the Islanders. Uh, that one last week when Matt Martin kind of got mad at him and then Gino just, you know, went off just because I think he just, when he gets angry, he just actually, like, elevates his game. It's not like where Sidney Crosby gets angry. He just kind of goes ape shit or whatever. Uh, but then, you know, let's get to Chris Letang. Um I've said I've been saying it way too much for the last couple of weeks that you know my listeners are probably getting tired of it. Um, best def- uh, franchise defenseman in this team's history. I don't really think. Um, I just don't think anyone compares to. I, I mean, I know Paul Coffey obviously played here for four or five years, but I mean, in terms of franchise defenseman, no one's done better than Latang here. Um, his body's been through so much. He's given everything to this organization. But Matt, this is the first year where it's been like, wow. Like his his play has really dropped off. I've defended him forever. Um, these are the kind of moments that you know the people that have always you know trash talked him over the years are going to say, hey, you know I was right, you know, but that's just not true because if you look at the numbers from 2012 to 2017, it was one of the five to ten best defensemen every year. So, um, where do you see this going with Crystal Tang, and do you think he can find his way out of this slump? Yeah, he's been oddly quiet this year, and I don't know if he's trying to play a, a more conservative games in, in in some way or a conservative game um i should say or or what or, or if he's overthinking a few things um I, I haven't really gotten an opportunity to to look deeply into his game this year um but it, he's still getting a ton of ice time maybe as dan kingersky wrote on pittsburgh hockey now a uh, colleague of both of ours that uh, it could be time to just tick down that usage a little bit so he can regain some of his, his explosiveness that uh, doesn't seem to be there right now. He's just not making a lot of plays at the offensive end, and he's never been the the um, the most astute defender. I'll put it that way. In his own end, you didn't want him to have the puck in his own end anyway, because that meant he wasn't creating at the offensive side of the ice. And um, although his his underlying numbers aren't terrible this year, he's uh, you know he he's still hunting for uh, to, to to find the, the the shooting range. I think. That's been a struggle this season. Hasn't got a lot of shots through the power play in general. Just hasn't been very good. So that hasn't helped him. But you're right. He had a, an extended peak, and I think he was underappreciated at his peak. And and sadly now, I, I think he's just going to fall into that confirmation bias for a lot of folks out there that oh, he was never that good to begin with. When Yeah, he really was. And his performance in the 2016 playoffs, I think, is up there with any performance in franchise history. Uh, when it comes to uh, to springtime and and the money time of the season, so he'll always have that. Uh, it was it was fitting that, of course, he he scored the uh, deciding goal uh, against the Sharks there in the in the Stanley Cup Finals. So it's not like we have to feel bad for Chris Letang that he didn't really shine when he had the opportunity. But of course, he missed the the Stanley Cup run in 2017. 
And uh, since then, it, it just uh, it, it feels like it's been a very gradual drop off in terms of, of of the way that he's played the game, both physically and and mentally. So just the the, the big flashy plays aren't quite there anymore. And uh, and also, he doesn't appear to be getting any better in his own end uh, as well, or when it comes to timing pinches and being coordinated with his forwards on the ice with him. It's just he's a, he's a tick down from where he usually is. And right now, points-wise, uh, not great compared to his career. Usually, his best years, he's uh, approaching a point per game, which, of course, is great. But uh, right now, just seven points, all assists in 14 games. Just matches up with my eye test so far. Yeah. Um, even though he's playing a lot, I don't notice him that much um, unless he's making a mistake. In the past, Hunter, he'd always counter the mistakes and, and overwhelm the mistakes with with plenty of great plays absolutely. moving up the ice, and it's just not happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably – it usually happens. You know, people would always just pick on his mistakes and just not see what he would do coming right after that. But we can't even get that anymore just because his play has dropped off. And yeah, you said it hasn't even scored his first goal this year, 7 points, 14 games. Um, has been a mess in his own zone. I mean it's just like every night I think he's giving up like a couple high danger chances and it's just like uh, – I mean I don't know if it's just he's pr- trying to take – a little more off P.O. Joseph's shoulders. Like, is it going to change when Brian Dumoulin comes back? You know, we're going to have to see on that, though. Hopefully Dumoulin, I think he started skating, so that's great news um, there. Uh, before I do let you go, Matt, just a couple more things. Um, the goaltending, you know, obviously been a hot topic in Penguins land this year. Tristan Jari, three pretty damn good games. I think he was been 933 in the last three games for Pittsburgh. Um, I believe if I looked it up correctly. Um, it looks like he's coming out of it, you know, just – what are your thoughts on that? You know, do, do you still think they'll need – do you think – well, I should, do you still think? I don't think I've ever asked you that before. Do you think they'll need a goalie regardless of um, Jari turning it around a little bit? Uh, I know that coming into the year I was dubious on the fact that the, the backup, Casey DeSmith, didn't have a lot of playing time in the, the NHL. And I like Casey DeSmith as a goalie. I think that uh, I think that he's competent. He probably has a long career in the league ahead of him as a number two, whether it be in Pittsburgh or elsewhere, but just with uh, the lack of experience for Tristan Jari, relatively speaking, I wanted to see a, a veteran backup. So if I had to bring somebody in, it would be in the backup role because mm-hmm. I still think you got to give Tristan a, a chance to shine here. I've, I've, I've loved his ability since day one. I always thought that uh, when he and Matt Murray were coming up together, I, I, I liked Jari's game better, honestly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you saw him come out of the, the gates this season looking not so confident, looking like uh, he was searching for something. And maybe he's found that the last three got some practice time under his belt too. Funny how that works. It was an abbreviated training camp. So I, I try to not judge January games too harshly at all this year. And uh, you, you look at the, the back half of February at this point, maybe this is Jari turning that corner. Maybe that Casey DeSmith coming down a little cold there on Sunday, um, taking him out of contention to, to start against the Caps. That could be the biggest break that, that Tristan Jari got this season and get him rolling. I'm not saying he has to play 80 or 90% of the games, but he should be playing more than 50%. He should be getting more of the, uh, the time in the crease. And for me, the athleticism is still there. He, he brings more of an upside than to Smith. He brings more of an upside than, than most goalies, I would say, just due to that athleticism. And w- when he's rolling, he looks like uh, peak Mark andre Fleury, not to, to draw a comparison with the future Hall of Famer there too, um, you know, too brightly, but... I think those attributes are there, and uh, I think the Pens would be foolish to continue to alternate back and forth between he and, and Casey DeSmith. I'll put it that way. 
Yeah, you know, I think he's going to get a lot more starts moving forward. These last three games, I think, have got his confidence back. He'll definitely start tomorrow night against the Islanders. And then, honestly, I think he'll start both games against Washington, too. I mean, and he, the better goal he needs to start these games. I mean, these are two of the teams that the Penguins need to catch. In the standings, there are two points out of second place, and there is just a logjam of teams. I mean, they're also five points out of first place. So, you know, th- this division is far from over. Uh, but one more thing before I do let you go, Matt, uh, just to end it on a cool story, I guess. You know, obviously you're on the Penguins beat. You know, what, what's the best story that you could tell everyone about, you know, just being on the Penguins beat if there was like a funny story or something like that? Um, I don't know about funny necessarily, but – I certainly appreciated every opportunity to cover the team, and um, it's just something I always wanted to do, and uh, I'll remain appreciative of it until the, the day I die. But the, the best part of it was never thought I'd get the chance to walk around on the ice while the Stanley Cup was being passed from player to player down in Nashville. That was the, it was quite the, the, the run to the final. Of course, it came down to a, a bounce of the puck and a Chris Kunitz goal in Game 7 against Ottawa. Um, and uh, the, the first two rounds were pretty hair-raising, too, especially the, the series against Washington. So 2017 is what I keep thinking back to, and getting a chance to cover with a guy like uh, Josh Yoey, who I uh, grew up uh, looking up to, not yeah. to make him too old, not to age him too much, but I uh, <laughs> really enjoyed working with him and, and the, the staff we had there. It was, uh, it was an outstanding experience. And to see the looks of joy on the players' faces, the families' faces, um, you realize it's the culmination of a career and a lifetime in, in hockey for so many of them. And, uh, you know, for my hockey coverage career, at least certainly, uh, the highlight, no doubt about that. Um, but, um, you know, overall, I, I just, I really enjoyed going from city to city, checking out, um, the, the, the buildings. It's not quite like baseball where every park is different, but, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of culture in, in each city, like a lot of hockey culture that was, interesting to explore even in places like florida and tampa bay um it, it was uh enjoyable to get out there and travel something i miss immensely these days with uh, the pandemic being what it is so um yeah there, there's nothing like following a team for an entire season especially when it all ends in uh, in triumph and a trophy being raised and mm. uh to be there for the cup to be there in nashville a lot of people who cover this sport don't ever get that opportunity so like i said i remain grateful for that yeah, yeah, that's my my dream is to go to a bunch of stadiums, you know, whether I'm covering the team or just as a fan, and just like check out a bunch of them, you know, just being on the ice for a cup. That that's been a lifelong dream, and hopefully that'll happen someday. But you know, like you said, Nashville, that's one that I definitely want to go to um, first. But yeah, man, I, I appreciate you coming on this episode of the Locked On Penguins podcast. I definitely want to have you on at, at, in the future, you know, maybe around the trade deadline or something like that, or. Um, you know, during playoff time, if the Penguins do make the playoffs, though, it's it's going to be a, a really good finish for this division. I'm pretty excited to see how this is all going to turn out. But Matt, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, you got it. Uh, interesting season, to say the least, with uh, the pandemic adjustments. Interesting division, like you said. And I think a really interesting time in a, in a franchise's history that is usually very interesting. So we have a lot to to talk about here. It just feels like all the post-game shows I've done on Pittsburgh Sports Live, they fly by because the topics are immense and um, they certainly capture your attention. Um, I, I think that uh, by the time we get to the end of this season, we're going to have a lot more clarity on which direction this franchise is going in because for me right now, that's the that's the fun big picture thing is do you strip it all down and rebuild around Sid? Do you try to do one more shot with uh, the big three here? Do you lop one of the big three off? 
my goodness, there are, there are plenty of options here for mm-hmm. Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. And the change in leadership has refreshed my perspective here. I was getting stale with, with Jim Rutherford. I think it was just um, at a certain point you get whiplash from, from some of the moves. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very eager to see how the, the new leadership treats the, the rest of this season. And uh, I'm just glad to have hockey back too, because it was a long off season. The Penguins played what four games in a, a span of 10 months. That's uh, that's not good. That's not good for anybody uh, in, in our business and, and the fans out there too. So um, great to be with you. Good to be talking hockey again. That's my big takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm just I'm glad that Ron Hextall is a lot more patient than Rutherford. He's probably not going to make any panic trades. And um, oh yeah, Matt, where can everyone find you on Twitter and find your work? Well, my last name is hard to spell, but that's my Twitter handle. It's M-A-T-T-G-A-J-T-K-A. But yeah, just search Pittsburgh Sports Live. I'm putting up plenty of video content. I mentioned the post-game shows. I also have regular NetFront Presence commentaries. And uh, well, doing a bunch of other stuff at uh, Pittsburgh Hockey now as well. And um, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all just my name. That's the beauty of having a uh, a name that's not too common. I'm sure you can relate to that as well. It's a nice little trademark to have. <laughs> yeah, it is absolutely awesome that um, not other than my family, I don't think anyone else has my last name in this world. You know, but honestly, it, it, it's it's nothing like a Miller or anything like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are there's like ten Geikas in America. There's about eighty in Poland. There's not too many anywhere, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's many Hodies outside of this country. Maybe a few in like Poland or something like that, but. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. We'll have more coming next week as the Penguins take on the Islanders on Saturday. Then they'll play Washington. And then, of course, they'll go back to playing the Islanders um, at the uh, Nassau Coliseum late next week. So I'll talk to you all next week.